Hey there, and welcome to Work Dope. Hey, I'm interrupting myself to say, listening back to this, I am talking really fast, and I don't really know why that happens sometimes. I am working on it. I'm very aware that I get amped. Sometimes I get a lot of energy, and I feel like I'm not going to be able to get out what I need to get out, and I need to just relax because this is a podcast, and this is long form, and I'm going to assume that if you don't want to be here, you will turn this off and go somewhere else. So I apologize for that. You could always go back and change the settings. You can listen at like 0.8 speed, and maybe that would be easier. I do that sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast that's really dense and I want to be able to capture more of it, or someone's just saying something that's really important and I need them to slow down a little bit. I totally use the slowdown uh, method as well as the speed up method sometimes. I also just want to say that I am going to use this ability to, after I've recorded, go in and insert things like this because I have a job and I don't have a lot of time and really taking the time to create something in the podcast form that is useful and meaningful, I'm between two places on this. For me to structure my thoughts is a lot of effort and time, right? So I do do that. And though if I were really going to do it really, really well, I would need it to be my full-time job. And it's just not. That's that's not what's happening right now. So, so anyway, I am going to take the liberty to kind of drop in interruptions in myself as I talk through the podcast. And so you will probably see some outtakes here and there in this particular mini episode. I hope you enjoy. Excuse the interruption. Back to the main very fast recording. A podcast on the messiness and the potential of humans at work. I'm Linda Stacy, and I'm a corporate sellout and a corporate innovator. And I think that working in corporate America doesn't have to suck, even though it often does. By some statistics, up to 80% of the workforce are dissatisfied at work. And of course, on the flip side of this, the paradox is that folks more and more are expecting to create meaning and purpose in their lives based on their roles at work. With all of the recent things that have happened in the last two years, a pandemic, the great resignation, and now the great regret. And we're really all forced to look at quality of life and what culture really means inside of organizations. Business is a cool thing. I think that building things and solving real world problems, all of this, they're fundamental to the best parts of the human experience. This is how we embrace human potential. I'm on a mission to reinvent the work experience and I'm committed to bringing insights, tools, and inspiration to folks at all levels within an organization. Most importantly, the individual contributors, the folks with the tireless jobs that often keep the wheels from falling off the bus. Today is a mini episode and I wanted to do a couple of points of housekeeping on the building of the audience of Work Dope and two points here. One is the timing. I will be dropping consistently on Thursdays these episodes. So look for those. And also I'm going to be doing a little bit of cycling. So 10 episodes on and then three weeks off pretty much. Just a little bit of cadence there. So that will bring us through to March 2nd based on where we are today. And then I would return, a new podcast would drop on March 30th. Also in the middle there, I'm going to be doing a LinkedIn Live, which will probably end up getting uploaded as a podcast as well, but it's going to be a little bit more webinar style. And that will be focused on 
this concept around value and how I've been asking all of my guests to talk about what it means to be valued in the workplace, what it's meant for them, what they think about it in a broader context, and really kind of drawing from that and, you know, what have we learned? What are the lessons? Is there a framework? Um, how can we bring that forward and bring more purpose and value and sense of value in our own work and lives? So stay tuned for that sometime at the end of March, early April. I hope you enjoy this episode where it's a solo episode. Again, it's a little bit shorter and I'm riffing off of a theme that I saw on TikTok. I love this woman's content. Her name is Denise Conroy and she talks about four stages of your career. She actually borrowed this from something she saw years ago and she goes through them all. And I'm kind of looking at them with a with a different lens, which of course I will talk about. And I, I really want to be able to use something like this with an expanded and um, more considerate look for all roles within the organization because I continue to think that so many of these frameworks are focused only on the C-suite. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, so today I'm talking about a concept or a set of a framework that was introduced to me through TikTok. A woman named Denise Conroy is there and she is a consultant these days, but part of her story is based on having been at HGTV years ago in a very toxic work environment and building from there and how she left there. And she's got tons of advice and really great frameworks. A note on TikTok, if you're not on there, I, I don't blame you. I, people choose different platforms for different reasons, but I have picked up a lot of interesting information and um, around all aspects of life on TikTok. And it's, yes, you can get very sucked into it. And I know there's concern around, um, you know, what's being tracked on the app. And I have done some research on that. So I know not how not to behave in the app in order to be safe. Anyway, if you want to check out her website, it's themyllc.com. So T-H-E-M-Y-L-L-C.com. But she talks about four career stages and I enjoyed watching her. I liked how she spelled it out. But of course, it triggered some things in me because it, it doesn't apply to so many people in the workforce, which is part of my frustration with so much of development and training and information that's around development for workers. It's just not focused on the majority of the workforce. So I wanted to go through the four career stages as she did, but also you know, start out by saying that there's my premise here is around this incongruence that I just described. You know, that what I hear as far as like what HBR is going to publish, but also just what any consultant is going for in terms of executive leadership, that, um, you know, the way that we move up in an organization, for example, versus what I've actually experienced in the workplace, what I've experienced, you know, 19 plus years in consulting firms in a functional role, what I've experienced through working with corporate clients through my Living Blueprints business and also speaking to audiences and just collecting feedback and, and talking to people who have jobs. Hey, it's Linda interrupting herself again. And I have to clear this up. I referenced HBR, which I use all the time in my own work world. For those who don't know, HBR is Harvard Business Review and their articles are often focused on executives and behavior and soft skills, essential skills is what I like to call them in the workplace. So I was referencing that. I also use the term consultant very kind of flippantly just now. And I'm really talking about coaches, executive coaches specifically, 
in my time in um, National Speakers Association and other circles that I'm kind of affiliated with, there's a lot of people who do executive leadership coaching. And that's what I meant by where their focus is. And it makes sense because these individuals are making their living through coaching in order to do really make a living with that. We're often going to go for the leadership because that's where the most money is being spent. It's it's an interesting thing. But again, I, I always am hearing people talking about even burnout, they're talking about it as it relates to someone climbing the corporate ladder and burnout applies to so many in the organization, which we're getting into in just a moment. Excuse the interruption. The majority of people are not in the C-suite and a lot of people have never been really on the path for it. And I think part of it can be identified through what I'm about to talk about. Really, the whole thing is, you know, getting ahead in the corporate workspace, according to all these frameworks and factors, is about climbing up the corporate ladder. And there are, again, just so many people in the workspace that this wasn't a thing for them when they started, and it hasn't been a thing based on the type of role that they've had. There's just a different type of dynamic that can happen depending on the type of role that you're in. Many roles have nothing to do with climbing the corporate ladder, which you know implies making it to the C-suite eventually. Do other roles need development? Um, are they getting it? I'd argue, yes, they absolutely need development. As humans, everyone needs development. And as a corporation, I feel like it's in a corporation's best interest that they want everyone to grow. And I do feel that if you're funneling money into leadership training, that it's also imperative to get some skills development and leadership training to the rest of the group. Um, yes, things trickle down from the top, but I also think it's important to have information and skills and self-leadership tools infused from the bottom and the sides as well. My personal goal, or you know, one of the premises behind WorkDope and Living Blueprints is really to create more frameworks for people in all roles. I'm not there yet. Uh, I don't have that framework exactly, but I do know that it's based in self-leadership principles. And I also know that awareness is the first step in anything. So part of the voice here of WorkDope is getting the awareness raised around these issues and putting more language around it so that we can create more frameworks and have more satisfaction at all levels within the workforce. So going through these four career stages, the first one is the doer. The second one is the super doer. <laughs> the third one is the coach slash mentor. And the fourth one is the visionary strategist. So I want to describe each one of these quickly. The first is the doer. And this is kind of at the beginning of your career where you're learning the ropes. This is about keeping a schedule, figuring out how calendars work. And I got to tell you, I know people in their 50s in the workplace who can't stay on top of their Outlook calendar and their meetings and schedule things, um, you know, how to take direction, how to work with other people, how to understand the quirks of other people and how to work within those. This is a time in your career where you're gaining self-esteem and you are building confidence, right? This doer element is probably going to be part of every phase in your career, though theoretically, according to this model, it should decrease as you move up the ladder. And again, my premise is that depending on what type of job you have and what type of company you're in, it might not ever change that much. So the super doer, the second stage is that you know now you've gained the confidence to the, do the job. You can anticipate next steps. You don't need to be micromanaged. And I'll just say parenthetically, sometimes you still are micromanaged. And I really feel like if you're in this phase where you really should begin to be more autonomous and do things on your own, but you have a micromanager, 
you're not going to develop. So it's almost like you need to be able to recognize when micromanagement is getting in the way of your development. Because if you, if you can't make even small decisions on your own, that is a limiting factor when it comes to your own development and your ability to improve and increase and expand what you're doing in the workplace. Hi, interruption number three here. So this was a big one. And as I progress into the next few words, I'm going back to the actual things that you do in the super doer phase. So I'm transitioning from talking about the things that you're not able to do if you have a micromanager and then going into more things that you would be doing officially in the super doer stage. But to go back to this idea about being micromanaged, if we can think to children, child development, and a child who has no ability to make choices as they grow and become an adult, and, and you know that's really the way that they learn, and the most healthy child, the most well-adjusted, whatever it is, is really encouraged to develop and think on their own, of course, and getting input and feedback from the parent and getting the parents kind of lens on things, having the parent help them understand what's happening in their lives. But if you have a parent that's either very controlling or taking care of everything or um, just holding a child back, if you can think of, you know, extreme abuse situations and such, the child has a really hard time surviving on their own one day, right? The, the skills for autonomy do not develop. So these are parallel. Of course, I'm not suggesting that people in the workforce are being abused, although in some cases they are. Um, but it's just to, to highlight the fact that people who are micromanaged over many, many years and certain jobs kind of lend themselves to this, they're not, they're, how are they ever going to become self-leaders unless they're given some ability to kind of stretch. And again, they need guidance. They need feedback along the way. Okay, end of my interruption. Again, what I start with next are more of the things the super doer is doing in this phase of their career. This also is a time when you're, you know, you're proving that you've got high bandwidth, right? The things that used to take you three or four hours maybe are now taking you 45 minutes. So you're taking on more and more. What can happen in this phase is that you end up with an unsustainable workload and you can get trapped here for a reason I just said, but you know, other things too. People, you just continue to do and do and do. You want to please people. This tends to be more a thing for women. We don't want to let people down, but this can really be limiting. Again, the way that Denise Conroy talks about it, she says that, you know, we're never really able to move up or on. But again, I'd argue that some jobs, they just might require a ton of doing and you might be a super doer for most of your career. And this is where burnout happens, right? If you're doing this for for 30 years, you are going to be burnt out. And I, I think this is this is what happens. I think a lot of people just cannot wait until retirement because they've been super doing for years and years and years. She actually uses the term, you know, that you can really get caught in the prison of this. And hearing people talk about how work can feel like prison, I know I've used that terminology before. And um, it's just interesting to identify it in this and this structure, how she's put it. And to be fair too, I want to say that Denise mentions that she 
she also borrowed it from something that she saw in her own development in her career. So she was exposed to this type of structure early on when she was doing some kind of leadership or development training. Um, so, you know, she's borrowing it as well. I should probably go and look up who it came from originally. But at the end of the day, are any of these ideas really original? I think that we're just kind of putting them together in different ways with different contexts, depending on what's happening in the world. Okay, interruption number four. I did do a quick search to see if I could quickly find the four stages, match up with the stages that she provided. And it's not that straightforward. I do know that just about every leadership coach consultant out there does create their own framework because it looks good. It's intellectual property. It's something they can bring to their clients. And I respect it. I think it's nice to have these structures. But I did see a number of them that incorporated these they just weren't necessarily you know uh, called the same exact thing by the title Um, sometimes there were six stages so there's a lot out there in terms of stages of career development and um, so that part I was right about and yes it all gets reiterated and kind of washed up and put into different iterations depending on people's viewpoints and the context all right back to the show Um, The third stage, I really like this stage, the mentor coach stage. So this is where you learn to manage and motivate other people. And this is a distinction here. I've been in environments where instead of building, I really feel like the person maybe who should have been um, building or managing or motivating was more like testing. And that's quite a, a different type of thing. So that's like maybe the micromanager versus the one that's actually building his or her team. Hi again. So I just said the micromanager versus the person who is building their team. And the next words that I say go back to the positive aspects of this particular role. The next words I talk about learning patience and such. So everything following here is about the positive aspects of this next career stage. This is where someone who has learned some patience and who has intuition about people and understands what motivates them and, and really tries to work with that and speak to that. And at this point, we'd hope that, you know, communication skills are superior. And maybe this person is even thinking about who's going to take this job once I'm on and, you know, doing something else. So this is a really, really important and interesting role in my opinion. And then the fourth role here is the visionary strategist. And this, of course, is where in the model, this is where the C-suite executives come, um, the board members, this is where they spend most of their time in visionary and strategy, big picture thinking. How can we make more revenue? How can we make more profit? How can we anticipate trends? How can we tell a story, make a business case using data, financial data and KPIs? And All of this, all of this, yes, I agree that this is the role of the C-suite. I also think that functional groups and functional groups, I hope people know what I'm talking about, you know, marketing, finance, um, the research library slash knowledge management component, IT, HR, I'm probably missing a bunch of them, legal, you know, these are the various types of teams that can be really small um, or they can be bigger depending on the nature of the organization, but they have their own strategy too, right? And the directors of those groups, I believe, are doing strategy too, even if they're not 
in the C-suite. Their strategy is just, okay, where is the company going and how is my team working to make those things happen? How am I working with my team to create that type of, you know, synergy or whatever that <laughs> using corporate speak to, to make their goals come to life? I love here that they're saying in this stage that you really know how to align people and how to get people excited about what's coming and what the strategy is. And in my experience, what I've seen, what, you know, again, through, you know, talking to people, other professionals, people who have been in the workforce a very long time, that this is, you know, where change management comes in and communication and how people are communicating new strategy and such. And I feel like one of the biggest holes here is that leadership is often not talking to people as big changes are happening. And I've talked about this before that I I agree or I, I don't think that leadership needs to be talking about every little nuance along the way. But I think that leadership should be asking questions of its workforce. They could be broad, open-ended questions about what they see, what the trends are, and they could be, they could just be so many things. I mean, there are people who have worked in a company a really long time. They see things over the years, and sometimes those who have been around the longest might seem the most stale or uninterested, but I think that they might be the people to tap into the most. They've seen the most tap in, and even if even if they're, you know, coming across with an energy that doesn't feel excited about the company or about the topic, I think it's really important to hear what they have to say because their experiences and insights can be quite valid. And um, and I think once that kind of collection is done, that that very interested. I mean, I think that that the leaders have to be actually curious, you know, it can't be fake. <laughs> um, then, you know, when changes to come down and they're, and a, and a leader is able to reflect upon conversations that they've had, like real conversations, the honest stuff, the stuff that isn't always pretty, um, can refer to that and say, and talk about why they decided to make the decision that they did and why they're going in this direction and what their hopes are and to really, really think it through. Um, and, in a very holistic way, because there, everyone in the organization could be contributing to the growth of the organization. I really, really believe it. So this this framework is super interesting to me, and I have to say that I I believe that there are some functional heads, some directors of these departments that kind of you know keep the wheels on the bus, keep people paid, keep you in legal compliance, keep all of your you know all of your intellectual property together and unfindable and all these people who are kind of maintaining the engines that run the company. I think sometimes they can stay in the nitty gritty for many many years because maybe they're a team of one or two, so they're they're very much staying like in in stage two of this, the super duper super doer stage, and it, when you're in that constantly. Are you ever taking the time to kind of, you know, extract yourself and take the 20,000 foot view, you know, look at the forest through the trees and and try to get a sense of where things are going? I think this can be very difficult when you're when you're forced to do a lot of the doer things. Someone in that group has to be a strategist on occasion. And the organization needs to be paying attention to these if teams, especially if they're small, uh, you know, to make sure that coaching and mentoring is happening. These everyone needs development. This is this is so important. And you know what I'm not completely clear on is, you know, there doesn't seem to be a path up the corporate ladder for every human in an organization. And 
in my experience from what people say, they don't all want to be in those positions for various reasons, but uh, I'm just, I'm continually perplexed by this because I do think that people want opportunities to excel and to be seen and and how do we do this best even in roles that don't have this opportunity to advance in these very traditional ways so there were a lot of things that i said there i think there were a couple of tips i think this is more something to think about i think this is too um a precursor to something that i will probably develop over the coming months and maybe the next couple of years i because again, I think this is really important and I think we need a different type of framework around self-leadership, what that looks like, why it's important, why it matters to companies, why it matters for people, and um, and just more satisfaction and freedom and and movement and connection inside of the workplace. There you have it. Mini episode 22 is in the books. There will be more on this topic for sure as I dig into the actual stages of most careers and what this means and how we kind of get ourselves ready. And as I heard someone say recently, you know, bubble wrap us in some cases for some of the days that just become really, really full of a lot of doing and very little of some of the other good stuff. And this is going to mesh well with the next episode, which is focused around ideas of distraction and interruption. I'm getting into the myths about distractions, how we're actually wired for it to some extent as human beings, and how technology and other people play into it all. This is a topic I actually brought to Corporate Office Applied Materials to their women's group, their employee resource group for the women's section at their company. And they actually invited everyone at that location to attend, which tends to be something that happens, I notice, in my company, too, that um, the ERGs will invite everyone, even not the members, to attend. And if any of these topics that you think would be beneficial to, you know, um, association groups or corporation or company that you're a part of, absolutely reach out to me. I I think it is important to get information and helpful tips and skills out there. And to really talk honestly, definitely reach out if that's of any interest. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment if you find this material useful. Um, The more activity like that that's associated with the podcast, this allows other people to actually find it, right? Because it ends up higher up in a list and, and an algorithm and such. I totally appreciate that. Definitely drop me a line if you have any comments, anything you want to share. It could be a voice message attached to an email or just a note. My email address is lynda at workdopepod.com. That's lynda at W-O-R-K-D-O-P-E-P-O-D.com. Have a great week. Bye-bye.